Hello and welcome to the Double Double. My name is David Dixon and it is Sunday, August 30th here in New York City. Hope everyone is staying safe and doing well and healthy as another month of the battle against the coronavirus has come to a close. Coming up today on the podcast is an interview I recorded earlier last week with the head men's basketball coach at Washington University St. Louis, Pat Yuckum. Uh, coach Yuckum is one of the best coaches in all of Division Three basketball, and I was really excited to get a chance to talk to him, and I'm excited to to share my conversation with him with uh, with all you guys. But before we get to that conversation, uh, we saw last week, we saw the protest started by the Milwaukee Bucks that filtered down and through the entire sports world, the NBA Protests continued for three days. There were times where it seemed like that the season was going to be over, that the players were going to not play the rest of the season, that they were going to go back home to their home cities, go back to the front lines in response to the Jacob Blake shooting, and continue to protest and advocate for different social justice reforms, uh, bring awareness to the major issues that is police brutality, and just continuing on the the fight and the protest that we've seen this whole summer for the whole Black Lives Matter movement. And what we saw was their protest uh, resulted in change and, you know, real results. So they were able to get the owners to agree to create a social justice coalition that will have representatives from players, coaches, and, and the owners that will be focused on a huge whole range of issues uh, they also got, which is really, I believe this is a really significant one. They got in every city in which the team owns the arena. So, you know, for the Lakers, if they own Staples Center, for instance, they will get the arena to become a polling site for the upcoming 2020 presidential election, which is a humongous, humongous uh, achievement for voting this fall because we're still in a pandemic Basketball arenas are huge and will allow for socially distanced in-person voting, which will be a huge part of just making sure people are able to vote this November and vote safely. Uh, And then the third thing that they did was that they were able to get more advertising spots in each NBA playoff game uh, to raise awareness about voting and encouraging people to vote uh, as advertisements during the, the remaining playoff game. So if anyone ever says that protesting doesn't work, uh, don't believe them because the NBA players just proved that protesting does work and protesting can result in, in action and, and positive change. Uh, so, yeah, so we've now, once that got all settled and negotiated between the players and, and the owners, they came back and they resumed playing the playoffs. We saw the Lakers knock out the Blazers. We saw the Bucks defeat the Magic and win that series. We saw today the end of the Dallas Mavericks seasons. Luka Doncic put up an incredible, incredible fight. Uh, Luka Doncic is going to be a superstar player for for hopefully the next 15 years. He almost single-handedly took this series to seven games, especially with Kristaps Porzingis getting ejected halfway through game one and missing the last three games with a torn right meniscus in his knee, which was a brutal blow for them, but... Overall, it's been an exciting playoffs. Uh, obviously, what, what it showed during the protest last week is that there are things bigger than basketball, and the players are down there 
doing what they said that they wanted to do, which was keep bringing awareness and keep reminding people that they are more than just athletes, that they are more than just the game that they play and that they represent and can contribute to something much, much bigger and much more meaningful. So I'm really excited to see what continues on that front because the players have been incredible so far using their platforms to bring awareness and as shown to bring about real change. So I'm really excited to see what they do going forward. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to hit the music. And when we come back is my interview from last Wednesday with the head men's basketball coach from Wash U St. Louis, Pat Yuckum. Joining me today on the Double Double is a special guest, the head men's basketball coach at Washington University St. Louis, Pat Yuckum. He began coaching almost immediately after graduating from Lawrence University in 1995 at the Manitowoc Runcali High School in Wisconsin. After three successful seasons at the high school level, Coach Yuckum joined the coaching staffs of both the football and basketball teams at his alma mater, helping lead the basketball team to back-to-back conference championships in 2004 and 2005. He was named the head men's basketball coach at Coe College in the summer of 2005, where he compiled a 104-80 record in his seven seasons at the helm. In the summer of 2012, he was hired by University of Wisconsin Oshkosh in the ultra-competitive WIAC, where in six years he went from a seven-win team to runners-up in the 2018 NCAA tournament. In the spring of 2018, he replaced the legendary Hall of Fame coach Mark Edwards at Wash U and helped lead the team to the 2020 Sweet 16 before the tournament was unfortunately canceled due to the COVID-19 global pandemic. I'm thrilled he's taking the time to join me today. Coach, how's it going? David, I'm doing great and uh, really appreciate the opportunity to uh, chat with you today. For sure. So kind of let's just start right off, Coach, in the present. The fall 2020 semester is one unlike any other, really, for colleges around the country. Each school is confronting the pandemic in their own ways with their own reopening plans and just general plans. Whether it's fully remote, partially remote, sports, no sports, each school is kind of doing their own thing. So just kind of what's the quick summary of what Wash U's plan is for the fall semester? Yeah, we certainly are in um, some challenging and unique times, to say the least. Um, specific to you know, Wash U, what, what our leadership has chosen to do is, is uh, delay our start date. So typically, this would have been our first week of class under normal circumstances uh we are delayed i believe by four weeks so we're okay. we're starting class mid-september um our upperclassmen who have you know off-campus housing are starting to trickle back um but you know all the kind of precautions and, and mitigations are out there i think the biggest thing that we did um as a university is is all our students who are living on campus are living in, in single residencies or single rooms there's no doubles or triples mm-hmm. um so that, that they've, they've taken that approach and then the other advantage to being you know to having the, our large medical arm is uh i think in fact i just saw today um we developed a, a saliva-based rapid test that was uh, fast-tracked and approved that i know is gonna be a big part of the testing protocol on campus once the students arrive Yes, 100%. Yeah, the, there's the famous one that the NBA helped fund that Yale did, and I know Rutgers is also doing one, so you're 100% right. With all the people who – one of my favorite segments on Sports Radio Coach is when people like to say uh, – give medical advice with the tagline of, I'm not a doctor, but this is what I think. So I'm not a doctor, but from what I'm reading, it seems like the saliva test could have a huge, huge positive effect for just 
getting huge institutions like universities uh, back up and, and fully running. So, but besides for the delayed opening, you, you, you're going to have guys on campus this year who are on your team. Just what are the things that you are planning to do with the guys in your program who will be on campus to try and help them get better and ready for uh, whatever this season may end up being? Yeah, so we're still, um, as a department, trying to figure out how we're going to um, open our facilities. Um, there's, you know, a lot of a lot of factors there, right? You've got, you know, your county health, you've got NCA guidelines, you have WashU University guidelines, and trying to navigate those and come up with a, a really good plan. I think that's really, you know, it's challenging and, and, and taxing for our leadership all mm-hmm. the way down, you know, our athletic training, strength coach, all those pieces. You know, I... I know our guys, and I don't think we're unique at all in this regard. Like our guys are just aching to get back together and play, mm-hmm. right? I mean, they've, um, you know, literally the last thing we did together was we were on the court practicing, you know, in, in, in March, getting ready for the Sweet 16, and and you know, two days later, everybody's gone, and, and uh, uh, you know, I think our guys are just they're they're longing to be together. I think some have come back early just for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have to see kind of what you know, what we're going to have, our hope is to be able to get to the point uh, at some point uh, during the semester where we can get on the floor. It might, it's going to be a progression of, of, you know, get back with our strength coach and, and uh, you know, begin that process of, of just getting in a, in a really good rhythm routine in terms of strength training, conditioning, um, in terms of access to the gym, you know, you know, I think all most college basketball players, you know, they just love getting in the gym and, and mm-hmm. getting extra work in and getting on the dish and, and uh, so I, I think it's going to be a little more challenging this year. Hopefully we can, you know, kind of navigate or, or walk that, that fine line um, that, that, you know, allows for our athletes to be safe. And yet, you know, as basketball players, they want to get out and play. So right. uh, we've, got, we've got a couple different um, – working on a couple different, um, you know, thoughts or phases as we go through this with the hope of being able to get back in, in, into full team practice at some point, you know, during the fall semester. Yeah, so coach, I'm I'm curious about this because from just from the player's perspective, each year there's a set trigger date where you kind of have to be ready to go by it. So it's usually like when you come back to campus, you got to be ready to do the the, the weightlifting workouts and the pickup, right? And then it's really that first trigger date is the first day of practice, which for you guys is October 15th, which is when as a player, you know, that's re- really when it's time to get ready to go. I'm curious that as a as a coach, kind of how have you mentally approached just this summer and are and are, and are approaching these fall workouts and other team building events when you don't know when that set target date is for when it's like we got to be ready to go by this date. Yeah, it's really challenging, um, and and I and, and I certainly in talking to our players, you know, they're they're looking. You know, we have so much uncertainty um, <laughs> in, mm-hmm. in in our lives and. You know, um, no one would have thought, you know, back in, in, in April that we'd probably still, you know, be at this level or, or um, when it got to, you know, August and September. Um, you know, so we, again, we're working under some different, you know, uh, everything's pretty fluid, you know. And I, I look at it this way. If, if we could just start with getting our guys together and, mm-hmm. and, and, um, and it's probably not inside of a classroom, it's probably in an outdoor space and just be in one spot together David, that's a win. Right, I, for I really sure. think like that, that's something that we, we all miss our athletes as us as coaches, you know, we derive such energy from, uh, our, just our, 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 our teams 
and, uh, and, and the great things about each one of them. So, um, you know, I think just us being together in one space, socially distanced outside, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that's gonna, that'll hopefully be our, the first step and a great step. And I, and, and I think it, in a form of a championship in and of itself, 100%, um, you know, it, we'll see what happens from there. Obviously. I mean, we're, we're, things seem to be changing, you know, by the day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so all, everything that we put down in terms of a plan is definitely written down in pencil. For sure. For sure. So, so coach, let's go back to the, to the beginning. Now tell us where did you grow up and kind of how did you first fall in love with, with basketball? So I grew up, uh, in, in rural Wisconsin, small town. Um, and I think as I look back, you know, where basketball really, I guess, um, you know, I, I really kind of had the fire ignited with, in, in my in a relatively small town, uh, we had a really good high school team. I think I was at middle school. They went on to win a, a state championship in Wisconsin. I think this was in, uh, mid late eighties. And, um, I remember going down to the state tournament, which in, in Wisconsin's held, uh, at, at the, uh, UW Wisconsin or Madison campus and getting kind of caught up and swept up in that. And uh, just the excitement of seeing, you know, these big games and, and watching our high school team win a state championship, you know, kind of carried over into a desire to not only just play more, but start going to camps. And it just kind of continued from there. Once I started going to some camps and getting mm-hmm. some, you know, um, you know, more coaching and more opportunities to compete, I think it was just a, a just kind of a snowball effect from that point. But I think it really started with uh, with that that team having a lot of success when I was uh, I think in sixth or seventh grade. Now I'm I'm always curious about this because I was a multi sport uh, athlete in high school, and I think there's a lot of value in it. And I loved my experience doing it. Did Did you play multiple sports in high school? I did. I I uh, was I think three sports: I football, basketball, and then I ran track okay. um, as well. And uh, and and look back and. and wouldn't trade it, and I know we're in the age of a little bit of more specialization now. Mm-hmm. But man, I, I, I would have it would have been a, a far, uh, you know, more limiting experience had I just honed in on basketball. Uh, I enjoyed each one of those sports and, and the uh, you know the relationships and the opportunities. So I'm very thankful that I had the opportunity. So did so in high school? Did you have a recruiting process and and just overall, just how did you do the college process and end up choosing Lawrence University? Uh, yeah, I was, you know, I was just okay. I, I had mm-hmm. some, you know, small college nibbles in, in Wisconsin. I think I ended up going where I, where I thought I could play and, and what was a, uh, ended up being a really good academic school as well. So, um, you know, it was relatively close to home. I, I looked, uh, in some, you know, out of state, in state, but in the end, uh, you know, I wanted to go where I thought I had a chance to compete and get a good degree. And it happened to be, you know, 30, 35 minutes from, from where I grew up. Um, so it was, uh, but I was not a, I was not a well, a, a very sought after recruit to say the least. <laughs> so, so one thing coaches, you know, I went through this, this, this past, you know, the past two years at Wesleyan is once it kind of hits, you know, the end of sophomore, junior year, especially senior year, a lot of your classmates start getting internships and all of a sudden the conversation starts going from what are you studying to what are you going to do once you graduate? And that's everyone's favorite question to ask you as in your senior year. Well, what are you going to do with your degree? And so I'm always curious, was there ever a moment during your uh, college years where you ever considered uh, a career path besides coaching? Absolutely. Um, I, I think I've, in some ways I kind of fell into coaching. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, something that, you know, I, I really had given any thought to at all. 
Um, you know, I was, uh, I ended up, I got my degree in psychology and at, at, at Lawrence where I attended, um, you could get your, your teaching certification. Okay. And I kind of viewed that as sort of a, as a fallback option. And, and I was only an extra semester. Um, but I was, I was pretty caught up in maybe going on to grad school, um, decided to, you know, actually get my teaching certification. So I get done playing and, uh, had another semester. And so I'm around campus and, um, our coach who really had just taken over the Lawrence job my senior year, uh, young coach, John Tharp, who's now, uh, really successful, tremendous coach. He's at Hillsdale college in Michigan. You know, he's like, Pat, you know, you're going to be around, you know, the guys I could use, you know, why don't you, why don't you help us out? And, you know, I like, that'd be great. You know, that'd be, that'd be a lot of fun. I, mm-hmm. I really miss the game. Um, I worked maybe a camp or two with, with coach in, in that summer. And, and then, you know, I just remember the first time, like uh, getting ready for our first practice and sitting in with the coaches and, and kind of get going behind the wall, so to speak. I, I don't know about you, but mm-hmm. as a player, I, and I think a lot of players, they, they don't give a lot of thought to like how a practice is planned. Right. Yeah. The <laughs> process of what goes into that. Right. And I, and I never thought of it. I just like, well, coach has some really good ideas and shows up to practice and we go and do it. Mm-hmm. And, and then you, know, you get behind the scenes and we're going through in our planning and you realize God, the plan, the practice planning process takes longer than the actual practice itself, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and then as you get into the scouting and recruiting and I, I just, it didn't take long and I was, I was hooked. I mean, I just, it, there was a, a void left when you're done playing and you've done it for so long. And, uh, I think I was, you know, fortunate to be with a, a young energetic coach building a program and it just absolutely, you know, I was hooked. And, and it, mm-hmm. from that point on, I just, I, I couldn't, you know, it was, it was uh, I was like a drug. I just wanted, you know, wanted to learn more, find more. And, uh, you know, that's led me to, I guess, where I am now. So in 1996, you get the chance you're, to be the high school coach at Manitowoc. You know, at that time, you were super young. High school kids are super young, not that much younger than uh, you were at at that time, just what is it like coaching, you know, just kids who aren't that much younger than yourself and also just, you know, being a head coach and dealing with all those responsibilities at, at such a young age. Yeah, I think I was 22 when I, when I got there and, you know, I was pretty fired up to be a, a, mm-hmm. a varsity high school coach. And after a year of, you know, glorified um, volunteer assistant at my university, of course I had convinced myself that I was ready for this. And, uh, you know, I very quickly realized that I had so much to learn. And, um, you know, just you, when you're 22, you've only had so many experiences. And right. I look back, like I hadn't, it wasn't like I had, um, you know, coached AAU or, or done, I just hadn't been exposed to, I had a lot of reps. And uh, one of my first responsibilities, I remember, um, you know, I had to pick my staff and, uh, we had freshman tryouts. So I was the varsity coach, but I had, I had to run the freshman tryouts. And there was, you know, like 25 boys out for 15 or 16 spots. And so, you know, three days of tryouts. And then I'm, the you know, 22-year-old me is telling these 10, you know, yeah. freshman high school that they're cut from their team. And to this day, it's probably still one of the toughest things I've ever had to do. <laughs> you know, there's no difference between after the first five, there's no difference between the next 15. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was fortunate, quite honestly. I had a, um, a, a coach or a, a teacher and coach at that, uh, at Ron Colley, who had been a head coach, a few coaches prior, and just kind of a veteran wise 
and and I asked, and he became part of my staff, and he's a great friend, and it's kind of cool how we've reconnected. He was my assistant when I got to Oshkosh, so many years later we reconnected, and he really got me through. I mean, he, I remember our first, my first game. I mean, just I was so ill prepared <laughs> for, for what I was dealing with. And looking back, I'm glad I went through it. I'm glad I, I had those three years because it mm-hmm. really allowed me to to learn and grow, and I'm still learning and growing today, of course. But uh, uh, I'm thankful. It was it was a lot of fun. I had great, uh, you know, just great uh, kids and, and parents. It was a really uh, neat setup. I was very fortunate, but uh, learned a lot in that process too. So one thing I'm always curious about is, you know, high school age kids. That's such an important. Uh, age group and just years for so many people and just in terms of their emotional development, mental development, physical development, where there's a big difference between a 15-year-old sophomore or 15-year-old freshman and an 18-year-old senior. Just when you're coaching high school age kids, just what were some of the challenges or or just some of the, the difficulties in coaching a team of players, but each kid could be at a, at a completely different part of their own uh, development as people? Well, you're exactly correct. You know, boys change. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there's such a difference from, you know, in a matter of six months, let alone those years. And I think one of the things that challenged me, and I think a lot of high school coaches have to deal with this, is you have that talented, you know, sophomore who's maybe not quite physically developed, but he's skilled and he's, you know, he might be ready. I always tussle with that, you know, whether to, you move that kid up to varsity, you know, he might be able to help us at some point. Um, and, but you know, he's, he's, he's 15 years old, right. And he's yeah. been playing with these guys that are, you know, two, two and a half, three years older than him. And, uh, and I don't know that I got that right. Always. I, there was one young man that I think of that I, I probably rushed his process a little bit and he lost his confidence. And I always link back, like, you know, he'd have been better off probably just staying and playing with the sophomores and, and, and having a ton of success, tearing it up mm-hmm. that some things just can't be forced, but you know, we see this sort of, you know, in the college side when we're recruiting, right? I mean, yeah. You, you see you see highlights of a, of a young man from his junior year, and then you don't see him for six months, and then you see film or you see him play, and you're like, it doesn't look like the same kid. Mm-hmm. You, you know, whether it be through maturation time, um, strength training, what have you, like, like, boys just, they change so quickly. And so it is when you have these guys, you know, these really physically physically mature kids that, that maybe are kind of maxed out and you got those other guys who are just, you know, it's just taking a little longer. It is an interesting part of, uh, you know, coaching kind of that age group for sure. So after three years at Manitowoc, you go back to the, your alma mater and you're coaching football and basketball at this time. I'm just curious, you know. Is, are there any similarities or, or things you were able to take from football practices to help you with basketball and from basketball to, to football? It was, it was definitely um, unique, particularly during – there was always about three, four weeks of overlap between mm-hmm. the seasons, right? Yeah. And, and uh, um, you know, I love – in fact, I, I played one year of football there. My senior year, I actually played okay. football and basketball. Um, and, uh, and so I, I, loved, I loved the game. They're so, from a coaching perspective and organizationally, they're so different. Yeah. You know, um, you, you have obviously footballs, so you basically have two teams, right? You've got your mm-hmm. offense, your defense, and they operate, you know, there's synergy there, but they operate somewhat independently. And I think just as a coach managing that many guys, and, and you know, typically when, when I was there, we had 
one side of the ball was was much better than the other. And just how you, you know, I mean, there's the challenges of, you know, great offense, but your defense can't get any stops. Mm-hmm. And just the internal dynamics um, was always interesting. I, what I loved about football, one of the things was just the routine. Uh, once you got into the season, you got in this great routine. Every Monday was the same. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you know, culminating on a game day Saturday, off day Sunday, watch film, bring the guys in rinse and repeat and you know in, in, in our in our sport in basketball particularly you know in the in the pre-conference portion you know every week is different you might yeah. have a two game you know, might we might go eight days without a game and then you have three games you know in five days and and it's you don't get to that routine as much until you typically get into your conference play right for sure it's kind of nice to you settle in that and get in kind of that rhythm and groove so there's there's certainly some differences i appreciate both and i think um, I think I grew and certainly um, learned a lot from the, from football that I was able to carry over. And, and uh, quite honestly, the university was at, at the time, our football program struggled and our basketball program ended up being pretty successful. I might have. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was nice to have, you know, to, to experience. Obviously, the winning is a lot of fun. Right. Um, but to be able to deal with, you know, how you, how you deal with, with losses and challenging a team that's maybe not having a great season. And uh, sure. working through that as well. So I think there was there was value in both. So after six years at Lawrence College, coaching both basketball and football, you go to Co College in Iowa, and now all of a sudden you're in charge of your own college program. You had experience being a head coach in high school, but now you're a head basketball coach in, in at the college level. Just when you're thrust in and say, "All right, you're now in charge of a college basketball program." and all the, the decisions now fall on you, kind of just how, what's the thought process like from the coach's perspective of I've learned all these things from my time up until this point, just like how do you go about just trying to start using this information you've gotten and kind of implementing the things that you want to build in your own program? So you always hear about those, those 18 inches. When you move those 18 inch out, over from that top assistant to head coach mm-hmm. and how it's such a short distance, but boy, it's such a monumental difference. And I was talking about like, I didn't sleep nearly as well. <laughs> um, you know, you take loss, you know, everything is very personal. I think when you're the, when you, when you're head coach, you just feel it, that product on the floor, that scoreboard in some ways and right or wrong, it sort of, re, you know, you identify, it reflects your identity a little bit. Like you identify based on what happens I think it's a little bit easier sometimes as an assistant to separate from that, but boy, as a head coach, when it's your your name on that on that top line, so to speak, um, I think that ultimate responsibility. You know, I think when a lot of um, assistants when they make that transition, and I certainly felt this. I was an assistant for six years. You get to that point where you feel like you're ready, mm-hmm. and you feel like you know you, you've and you, you get that itch and that yearn to to. God, if I have the opportunity and the good fortune of getting a head coaching job, I feel like I'm, I've been exposed. And the, the, again, my mentor um, was gave us a lot of responsibility, gave us ownership, gave us a voice. You know, I had exposure to all aspects of the pro, of, of that, and so I'm very thankful for that, and it helped me prepare me. But um, you know, you're shaped by those that you you know your your coach, the guys you coached with, and now you have to kind of. Um, condense that down and be able to then to formulate, you know, your own coaching identity. And, uh, that, that's something that I think I know personally, it certainly takes you a while. You can't do everything. 
you've got these great ideas that you've been keeping your, you know, your notes and your plans and, and, uh, but now you actually go have to put it in place. So it's a, it's a bit daunting, I think. And, and, uh, I was fortunate at co to walk into uh, a really, a really pretty talented group that could overcome my subpar coaching <laughs> <laughs> until I, until I could kind of figure some things out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and you know, there, there was a time we had to figure some things out where in 2009, you suffered your worst win-loss record as a coach going 4-21. and And just for someone like you who's had so much success in your coaching career up to that point, just what was that season like to go through just such a tough season where just the wins were just not coming that year? Well, thank you for bringing that year up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I've, you know, that year, um, I think it was by far my most important my greatest year of, of learning and maybe the year that's impacted me most post. And, um, you know, I've been fortunate to, to not have anything else like that or many mm-hmm. years like that, thankfully, as I probably wouldn't be where I'm at. Um, but you know, my biggest takeaway from that, again, I, I, how we kind of got to that point is we had a, bu- a bunch of goodies. My first couple of years, we were, we were, you know, really good and, and competing at the top of the league. I think the mistake I made looking back is, is I overlooked a little bit in, in terms of my recruiting, some, some of the, some character pieces. I thought, you know, we've got a strong culture. Uh, I can take a chance on a, on a young man and he's going to assimilate to our culture. Um, and, uh, you know, that's such a fine line. We had a, a, a really talented player who was homesick and transferred. He was from out of state and I was in an injury and you're, and you're sitting there, and uh, it's brutal, right? You're just yeah. you're going in, and, and uh, so my takeaway from that was was to not overlook the character piece in recruiting, to not be completely enthralled with with talent alone. Um, we, I, I, I'm adamant uh, that that that's a box I have to check in terms of uh, making sure that we have the right kind of guys. And um, and so ever since that, I've been fortunate, you know, to have um, the right guys in the program. And we had great guys in that team. I don't want mm-hmm. to, but just. We, we were um, we were a little shorthanded that year for sure. So it, it impacted me greatly. I survived it. And I think, you know, if you're in this profession long enough, you're going to have a tough season. Yeah, you know? 100%. Um, and and, and uh, sometimes, you know, the takeaway from that can be every bit as important as, you know, when you have a championship season. 100%. We just saw it in the NBA. You know, Steve Kerr and the Golden State Warriors make five straight NBA finals, a couple injuries, a guy leaves the team. All of a sudden, they have the worst record in, yeah. in, in the NBA. So... You know, you guys rebounded from that. You had a bunch of successful years after that. But I have a quick question just because you've mentioned culture a couple of times now. And I'm always curious because as a player, you know, it feels like it's this buzzword. Everyone talks about culture this, culture that. We win culture. We lose. The culture's not good. Uh, just as a coach, you know, when you think about what is the culture of your program, just what does that really mean? Uh, because culture can mean a lot of different things. But but for a Pat Yuckum led team, just what is the culture of that program? Yeah, there's that, that's a, a a term that that everyone kind of struggles has their own definition for, and it's like it's, you, you know it when you see it, right? You know, and, and you got to get inside. And I always, you know, equate our culture is is it, it's pervasive, right? It's mm-hmm. it's how we are you know, in the dorms, how we are operate in the weight room, how we operate off campus, on campus, um, how we interact with one another. 
uh, all those reflect upon, you know, the, the culture that we have. I, and I stole this, I, I visited Butler, I don't know, long ago and had a chance to I kind of peek into the locker room and I, and I saw this quote. So I'm going to give uh, Brad Stevens once again credit for this. I don't know where he stole it. Um, but good teams have, you know, good teams have good players and great teams have great teammates. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's something that we really, um, at the places I've been, uh, have put us sort of like, that's what we're about. And we, whether it be in our recruiting, uh, how we, um, interact with each other within our program, um, we're going to make sure that we, we have, we have great teammates and that's something that we aspire to. And quite honestly, you know, we, we have to fight for that on a daily basis. I think. You know, just because you have a, um, a strong and a really good culture one year, it doesn't necessarily mean it carries over to the next year. Right. I think each, you know, it's, it's something you're constantly, and it, to me it starts with who you have, you know, on the bus with you, who's in that program. Um, if they're the right kind, if they're the, you know, that are, are, are you know, the, um, they're about their team and they're about their teammates and they're willing to invest in their teammates. Um, I'll give you a good example. You know, we did our exit interviews this year, uh, virtually through zoom first time i've ever done that uh with our with our players i'm sure a lot of coaches have been doing that this spring and each of my freshmen this year when i asked them you know what surprised you about your your experience this year what were you not anticipating each one of them um talked about we had five seniors in our program this year and they all talked about how impactful those seniors were they were blown away that those seniors you know really from the very beginning uh, how how caring they were, how they showed them the way, how much they invested in them, how they they brought them into their places and and uh, really showed them the way. And uh, you know, to me, that says as much about our culture as anything as any other um, you know dynamic or any other way that we could express it. Um, and that's you know, and I talked to our seniors, and that was the way when when they were freshmen, you know, the upperclassmen took them under, and it's mm-hmm. something that I think has been going on, and I think in the good programs. That's what happens. You know, your, your veterans, your leaders, um, show those young guys the way and teach them, you know, the standards of your program, not just on the court, but off the court as well. So you turn around after the 2009 season, and after seven years at Co, you're named the head men's basketball coach at UW Oshkosh. And I'm always a little curious about this when you see uh, coaches change jobs and everything. Just what was it about Oshkosh that intrigued you or led you to leave Co? and take that job a couple different things um i really enjoyed um i wasn't necessarily looking to leave um co but you know the the first of all the um the wiac is an incredible league and uh in growing up in wisconsin i was you know pretty familiar with you know the tradition of of that league you know, the one thing in that league, if you're competing in any of the sports, but specifically in basketball, if you're competing at the top of that league, you know, you're, you're in line, you're competing for a national championship. And I think as a competitor, certainly to, to, you know, feel like you maybe have a shot or you could, if things work out right, you know, have an opportunity to compete for the, to cut the final net down was certainly intriguing. Um, you know, a little bit bigger school. And then I'm, I'm from that area. I grew up about 45 minutes away from that campus. So I had young, uh, young kids. I think my kids were uh, going into first grade and fourth grade. So it was kind of a sweet spot if we're going to make a move. Mm-hmm. thought that was a good time. And, uh, you know, it was a program that had been very successful. And it dropped off a little bit, but we felt like the bones were strong. And uh, I was, as a competitor, I was pretty excited to, 
have an opportunity to compete, you know, in that league with uh, some of the storied programs that exist in it. Yeah, 100%. So you kind of mentioned, but the WIAC is the Wisconsin League. It's one of the most competitive D3 basketball conferences in the entire country where, as, as you said, in any given year, there's not just one or two teams, but there are several teams in the conference that have a legit chance of making a deep NCAA tournament run. I'm always curious, you know, as from the coach's perspective, because it's, you know, as a player, it, it is kind of tough, but you're going through a brutal conference schedule where each game you're playing a really, really, really good team. Just how do you keep that same level of focus and uh, mentality to, when you're approaching each game? Because each game is, is almost like a playoff game, and just keeping that same uh, intensity for each game is, is kind of difficult as a player. Just what is it like as a coach? Yeah, it's it, it's exhausting, um, you know. And, and this is a league which a lot of the kind of the regional leagues are. You're playing, you know, Wednesdays and Saturdays. You know, it's it's uh, again talk about getting in a good rhythm, right? Two two days of practice in a game, regroup, you know, another practice, and you're back, uh, you know, competing against another top twenty five type team, and you know, two nights later. Um, I just I think again as a competitor, um, love the opportunity to, to compete against you know programs that are competing at the very top of, of, of division three. Um, you know, I think what we, what I learned, um, as I, as I spent some time, you know, at Oshkosh is it is, it's physically grueling. It's, it's maybe, you know, it's the, the, the mental and emotional aspect of, of every game being so uber competitive. Right. And I think, yeah. you know, we'd all say that whatever league we're in is the most competitive league. So I don't think it's just unique to, to, to that league but uh the talent uh, of those of those programs if you weren't right uh you were going to probably get embarrassed yeah and so um you know just making sure you know that 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 our team was was as ready as we could be um and, and consistent as we could be and you know really proud of of you know how we built that program and got to the point where we were you know pretty consistently at, at you know competing for a championship or at the very top of that league after our first couple of years, but, uh, it was, uh, I grew a lot, you know, I had to learn, had to take some, some, some losses and some lumps those first couple of years. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then we got it going. And you definitely got it going. Skip ahead a few years. You make the tournament in both 2016 and 2017, uh, losing, unfortunately in the first rounds, but that, fa- that, that summer of 2017 in the fall of 2017, you're bringing back a lot of guys. Did you kind of have a feeling that that returning group was ready to to make a leap and and ready to to go on a run in in the NCAA tournament. You know, we thought we had a chance. Um, you know, we that that team. Um, you know, we had a lot of. Um, you know, we didn't have uh, any glaring weaknesses. We had you know size. We had uh, experienced guard play. Um, we had really competitive guys who, who were getting better. Um, you know. Our, we had some really talented players that were coming, you know, uh, moving up from freshmen to sophomores, and we had some, um, you know, so we had just a really good blend of talent, size, um, guys that have been had been through the some wars, and um, you know, the, the hardest part again, and that's going back to that that league, is you can be really good. Yep. I mean, you can be really good and not get in and not get in a tournament just because you kind of go through the grinder of of that league schedule. And you take a few, you know, so I always felt the, the pressure was on us in non-conference play to, um, you know, you, you got to go 10 and one, you know, nine and two, 
um, because you're you're gonna you're gonna take a couple knocks in the con- in, in conference play. It's just yeah. it's hard to run through that league. One hundred percent. So I felt as much pressure in our non-conference, and you know that's kind of the beauty of, of being I think in the Midwest is you know you're you're playing against you know a lot of out, out of conference you know CCIWs. You're playing the you know those guys a lot of times too. So you're you know our out of conference schedule was was going to be pretty strong as well. So uh, we felt prepared and, and we felt we had a chance. And then you know you just there, there's some luck involved and, and staying relatively healthy. There's there's a lot of things that come together that allow you to hopefully go on a um, a postseason run. So you guys make the NCAA tournament again and you win the first round game. Was that kind of just a collective feeling, not only for yourself but just the whole team of we got the monkey off our back, we we won the game, and hey, you know, all the pressure's off now, and we can just go out and and just enjoy it. Yeah, it, it definitely hit me. Um, I think we we're getting we we're on our the night before that practice, before that Thursday practice, get on the bus, and again, this has been the third year now. We've been three straight years, and after losing in the first round, those first two. You know, we all kind of felt that a little bit, and, and I, we, we kind of felt, you know, our guys were maybe a little bit tense or um, understandably, and I credit um, one of my assistants to, you know, we had a kind of a routine of, of on the night before, on that Thursday night, getting together, you know, one more time after dinner, watching film, going over the scout, and and, uh, and he's like, you know, Pat, I, I really think we need to loosen these guys up. I think we need to throw a curveball, and so uh, this is... Uh, going back kind of the, the 360 in my life, this was Greg Yankee, who um, was that teacher mentor at Manitowoc mm-hmm. College. So uh, he just always had a great feel. I, I really appreciate him. And so he kind of came up with a game show, quiz show that we put together. <laughs> um, and it was really kind of a, a fun thing. It became every third, you know, we did that for three straight weekends because yeah. we, we kept advancing. So every Thursday night, we'd come up with a new, he'd come up with it, he'd spend all week you know, coming up with uh, his creative ideas and, 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 and they were, they were so fun and just kind of, you know, there's, there's a lot of, you, you get in the tournament and there's obviously a little pressure, but man, you want to enjoy it too and have a lot of fun. Yeah. I just thought that that really created the, we just were in a really good space and, and mindset to uh, be successful. 100%. So you win those games, you advance the next weekend, you advance to the Sweet 16 Elite Eight. Just what was that whole uh, weekend like in in the sweet 16 and then, and then just that moment where you realize, Hey, we're going to the final four because final fours for coaches are like a status symbol in a way of, Hey, I got this many final fours making it to the first one is a huge checkpoint of so many guys careers. Just what was that whole weekend like to the culmination of we made it. Right. Well, you know, as you, every time you advance or move on, it gets, you know, it just gets better and better. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, so we were in, we were at Augustana in Rock Island, Illinois. Uh, Emory was there now get to butt heads with Emory uh, all the time in the mm-hmm. UA. So they were there, <laughs> John, John Carroll. And so four really good teams. Uh, we ended up, uh, one of them, <laughs> one of the greatest games I've been a part of, uh, was our elite eight game with, with a really, really good Augustana team. It yep. was an overtime game. Um, They've got a great crowd. It was one of the best crowds. Um, we had a player that just, Ben Boots, who played, he was terrific. And he just embraced the tougher the environment, the better he was. Mm-hmm. So he made me look, he made me look smart. I mean, he, he really made me look, uh, you know, I remember we'd get to a couple of timeouts kind of late in the game. And they're just like, Ben, what do you want to run here? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm going to turn, turn this over to you. But it, it is, uh, you know, when we, when we, 
won that game. You're cutting down the nets, and it's just it's hitting you right. I mean, you're, you're going at that time. You're going to Salem. Yep. Um, what was really special is, um, you know, a lot of our former players from Oshkosh uh, came back and were at that game, and and we really, you know, built up a strong family. And, and those guys, we had that that you know, we called they were kind of the founding fathers. Like they had to help kind of you know, lay the foundation. They got us there. They got us to the, the program to the point where we were making the NCAA tournament and uh, to celebrate with those guys, you know, on the court. And then that's probably one of the best locker room experiences we've had. We, we, we had some crazy rituals as all teams have. We had some very unique um, uh, rituals and uh, to have our, our alums, our players and our coaches in there. It's, it's one of those things you'll just, you never forget. So heading into the final four, the first matchup for you guys there was Springfield, who was the quote-unquote, you know, like the Cinderella that year with led by Jake Ross and Heath Post and just they were on a magical run. You guys are able to knock off Cinderella, and then all of a sudden you're facing off against Nebraska Wesleyan, who I thought might have been the best team by far in the country that year because they came off in an Elite Eight win against Whitman where they basically played a perfect game. Uh, Nebraska Wesleyan was just a few years removed from being at a scholarship level, so they still had a bunch of the same players at a scholarship level. And the way the Division Three tournament works is you guys beat Springfield. The next day, you guys are playing the National Championship, championship game against, an ex, you know, if you're in the National Championship, you're an exceptional team. As a coaching staff, how do you get ready for a team as good as Nebraska Wesleyan with, like, less than a day to, to fully get ready for that game and just the whole emotional experience of playing for a National Championship? Yeah, it's 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 wild. Um, it, it's um, I mean, you're just you're, you're you're riding this really at that point a three week high. Yeah, you know, um, and uh, you know to, to you know I remember getting back to our hotel after we won the semifinal game, and uh, um, that was the that was the night that um, UMBC knocked off Virginia. <laughs> yeah. So we, we get back and we're you know, we're just kind of collecting ourselves and getting ready to to, to dive into. Uh, uh, Wesleyan and you turn, turn on and you know Virginia's down wherever they were down double figures in the yeah. second half and growing up as a you know Wisconsin guy going to uh, Bennett's camps it was kind of personal you felt felt bad for uh, what, what we were seeing there but um, you know we had it's at that point you know you're um, you know six months in or five and a half months into the season you know you're not re, you're not reinventing the wheel and no. you know in, in 16 hours the challenge that that certainly those who no, Nebraska Wesleyan is on a on a quick turnaround. You know they played a unique style. They were, they were all, all zone. Um, they were really long and interchangeable, and had this you know ran a kind of a, a unique kind of a three two ran Princeton style with with uh, um, really ran that well, all interchangeable. And and we had as I reflect back, I don't think we had seen a possession of zone since December. Oh wow! <laughs> so you know, and and we chose, and I know it was a choice we made early in the week. You know, we kind of saw Nebraska Wesleyan looming. You know, I was like, well, if we get past our game, you know, a decent chance we could see them. Do we spend time during the week preparing? And I think it's something coaches wrestle with. If you're in a league where you play back-to-back games or you're in a tournament, you know, and we just we just say we're going to focus. We have to win game one, mm-hmm. and we'll deal with game two. We got to focus on game one first. Um, you know, so it, it was a you know. A tough try. I wish we'd have had a day in between. You don't. We're just thankful to be in that in that game. Um, I thought we had a good plan. My assistants, who always prepared for the second matchup, had us well prepared, and uh, you know, we were right there. It was a great game. 
um, they made some plays late and they were very deserving as champs. 100%. They were a great team. And that was a great, that was a great game. And just a great final four uh, just as a whole too. So after that game, uh, I think a few days later, the hall of fame, legendary coach Mark Edwards at WashU announced his, his retirement. And when I had coach Bridgeland on my podcast, who's now at the university of the Redlands, he kind of described WashU as, you know, that it's, the term that's used in a lot in Division One is like the blue blood programs, and that Wash U is a statement quote, blue blood style program and job for Division Three uh, basketball. Did you ever hesitate or uh, to to go for that opportunity, given just the success and just what just happened at Oshkosh, or just what was that whole process like of? just applying for just, just this blue blood job that everyone seemingly would want to take. Yeah, it was, um, you know, I look at, I didn't have some master plan. I, mean, I, mm-hmm. I talked to a lot of like young coaches, like during, during the early part of the pandemic who were reaching out and kind of looked at my path and how I got from where I was to, to wash you. And it wasn't, you know, a grand plan. It was wherever I was, I, I was to do the best job I could. And, you know, the, the old adage, make the big time where you're at. And uh, I, I loved Oshkosh. Um, I had every, we had everybody back. I think we had one senior on that team. Um, that was the runner up. We had a great group coming back. Um, love those guys. And we were, you know, not only comfortable, but really excited about what we could do there. That being said, um, Wash U, this opportunity was pretty special. And I had a little insight. I, um, I'd gotten to know Coach Edwards kind of through um, so, some other friends, and, and, and we'd stayed in touch over the, you know, maybe seven, eight, nine years. I'd been on campus uh, once or twice. You know, it was a place that, in the back of my mind, I always kind of, you know, it was kind of a goal. It was kind of a place that, yeah, maybe someday if, if things work out and, and it's just, you know, I, I think the timing worked out right. I mean, we were coming off a great year. Uh, this was the year Coach Edwards decided to uh, that, that he was going to uh, retire and relax a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was it was certainly tough because I, I had, you know, such a, um, a good, we were just really happy with, with Oshkosh. And, you know, I don't think there were many, it might have been the only place, quite honestly, that I would have considered leaving for. Um, and, uh, you know, things have worked out and, um, um, you know, here I am. So, I don't think it's fair to describe Wash U's uh, court as a gym because it's more of an arena. But when you first got there, you know, was there kind of a, you know, a wow factor to just kind of the, what the facilities are like at Wash U? And, and, and can you just kind of just quickly explain to the audience who, who may not know just what the facilities and resources are like at Wash U? Well, we're certainly um, we're certainly blessed. You know, I, at Oshkosh, I had a we had an arena that seated six thousand people. So, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> uh, it was actually uh, it was it was you know too big, quite honestly. <laughs> um, but you know, I think what spoke to me a little bit about about WashU, and, and this is um, you know it, obviously it's a renowned academic institution, but there also there is a there is a strong commitment here to athletics and and the role athletics plays. On a, on a research university campus like ours um, from the top down. And I think that's something that, um, you know, as I went through the, the interview process and, and spoke with, uh, you know, people, not only the coaches here, but elsewhere, 
that really, um, you know, really was intriguing about th- this place. You know, the, the arena is, the field house as we call it, um, is really a, a really neat place. In fact, uh, I was in it yesterday for the first time since March 16th. So oh, wow. I almost got, I was emotional walking across the court, you know, um, since it's been a, several months since I've been really back in there. Um, but uh, we, we have a we have a great it's 3500. Um, it's really a, you know there's a lot of pride um, in, in the quality of our facilities how how they're invested in and, and, and kept. Um, you know we do have a, a really good situation that uh, I certainly don't take for granted for sure. So obviously for for players you for for the freshmen in, in your program every year they're adjusting not only to college basketball but just the UAA conference in, in general. But as a coach, it's a lot different when you're changing conferences because now you got to learn about all the different schools pretty quickly, the style plays, because it is a conference like the UAA, like the WIAC, really, really good. There's no cupcake games or, or anything like that. Just as a coach, how are you learning or uh, learning about and just getting ready to play in – an ultra competitive conference like the UAA in your first year where you're flying around and just when you're flying around so much, are there any rivalries really in, in the UAA? So I think professionally, um, I've definitely found it. It was, um, it's, it's been really, it's been really interesting and a lot of fun and a great stretch for me personally, um, to, you know, compete against different programs, different styles of play, uh, our, our, our league has um, really, really good coaches um, and, and, and great talent. Um, and you're, you know, so I, and it's a little bit different. I, mean, I, I primarily my coaching career, I've been in the Midwest, kind of Wisconsin based, and it's there's maybe a little more of a homogeneous, homogeneous style of play, a little more grinded out, and it's it's been fun to to go up against different styles, different approaches. I think I've grown as a coach. And, and, um, greatly from that, you know, you're a little uncomfortable. You get, you get in that groove and that routine where you're just, you're so familiar with your opponents in your league, right? After going against mm-hmm. them two, three times a year for year on end and then to jump in and, and really not have, you know, I had some familiarity from, you know, uh, Chicago and, and we just played Emory in the tournament, but really didn't know much about the other programs. And, uh, so, you know, I quit in my first year uh, as my freshman year and uh, you know, not only, you know, new coach, new players, uh, new coaching staff, you know, and then you throw just the, the unique and great aspect of UAA travel uh, where you're flying into, you know, New York, Boston, Atlanta, and just the logistics of, of uh, that, you know, coupled with following a coach who'd been doing it for 37 years right, and, yeah. and had everything down to, you know, to the second, um, you know, so, um, a lot of growth, uh, had to be, was a little uncomfortable for a while, but, uh, uh, the UAA is, is a blast. I mean, I, I can't tell you how, how, how fun it is. You know, yeah, I just looked back this year, you know, you, we're, we're playing NYU wake up. We, you know, I'm looking into, you know, the world trade center Memorial, mm-hmm. you know, it was right out my hotel window and, and, uh, you know, again, maybe I'm, I'm a little bit older and I, I can appreciate that even more now than maybe I would have when I was younger. Right. Um, but it's, but it's, 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 it's a blast. It's, it's, the competition's great. It's, 
I knew the league was good. It's way better than I <laughs> than I imagined, and, and uh, it's only it's getting better too, even on top of that. So, um, you know, rivalries. You know, I, I think you know proximity wise, we're you know four hours from Chicago. Mm-hmm. I think Chicago and Wash U kind of swim in some similar waters at times. But uh, I mean, whoever's on our schedule is our rival. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm curious about this coach. Uh, obviously every coach has a system of, of style to play and, and it feels like we always hear this a lot of times at the at the pro level or at the high high division one level where it's do you have a coach who has a system like you know famously like Beheim plays zone at Syracuse and everyone he gets he plays 2-3 zone whether or not no matter who's on the team he's playing 2-3 zone and then you have a coach like John Calipari who kind of adjusts a lot of what he does when because he has so much turnover at at his program where every year they can do something kind of different when you first take over a job so so for instance when you went that first year at wash U, none of those players on those teams were really guys who you recruited for that season they all had different skill sets and they may or may not have been best suited to what your preferred style or system of play is how do you kind of adjust in those first couple of years as you're bringing in you know your your guys who you recruited versus the guys who are really good and really talented uh and still in the program and trying to find a system that works for everyone to try and win games yeah that's a really good question i don't think there's a necessarily a right answer to that either um you know i think my approach to it or our approach is you know we have a philosophy that mm-hmm. we really believe in that is going to remain pretty consistent. Um, but how we execute that philosophy or employ it is going to, you know, it's going to be different year to year again, based on, you know, our strengths and what we have. And I think that's the, that's the really invigorating and, and, and kind of part that us who are kind of mad scientists, we really enjoy is, you know, you've got all these different, you know, these players who are kind of like the puzzle pieces, right? Mm-hmm. And how do you fit those pieces together, you know, to get that nice mosaic? And, um, you know, the value of having, um, you know, a really good staff that seats. And I think, you know, coaches and certainly a head coach, you can get sort of tunnel visioned into this is, you know, this is how I like to do things. Having coaches that can challenge that and, 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 you know, open your eyes to something that maybe you weren't even thinking about. Um, you know, coming into a new pro or when you start as a first year coach, um, the, the challenging thing is you have nobody, like everybody in the gym is basically on the same level, right? I mean, there's no yeah. one has been exposed to your, there's no one to teach, you know, and, and teach their teammates. You know, you're having to do everything you do is the first time, you know, the first drill you're doing, it's the first time you're doing it with that group, Yeah, you know, everything. So it's a little more arduous. Everything takes a little more time. Um, and, and you just can't, you, you know, you don't get as deep into whatever your system is. You don't get as deep into it just because you just don't have the time you're teaching everything. And, and that's been the, I think what we saw from, from year one. And, and I got to say our, our guys fortunate, you know, super smart mm-hmm. and, and, we're really open to, to change. And, and I think coach Edwards and myself similar in terms of what we value and how we run our program, but a little bit different in terms of, on, on, you know, the, how we play basketball. Right. Um, and, uh, but our guys were open-minded and, and to it. And, um, I, I thought just did a, a great job and, and certainly, you know, from year one to year two, such a difference when you've got guys, 
know, those guys who have now been with you for a year understand, you know, um, not only just your language, right? Your language is such an important part. Like what mm-hmm. we call something, you know, and, and every coach has their own lexicon. Yep. And so kind of having an established language that we all could be on the same page, um, you know, it was really, uh, you know, beautiful to go from year one to year two and allowed us to, to you know, hopefully get us some, some deeper levels and ultimately be a, a better version of ourselves, which is what happened. For sure. So, and you're definitely right. We could see that jump from year one to year two, as you guys were one of the best teams in all college basketball that this past G season, you were on a run to the sweet 16, but right around that time in early March, when the tournament was starting, you know, the world had, had other plans and the coronavirus pandemic was just starting to show the, the damage it could do here in, in the U S just when was the first time that you heard the word coronavirus and just in for that initial weekend of March Madness play, were you guys talking about the virus? Was there any talk within the athletic administration about precautions you guys could potentially take for that weekend of play? You know, I think we were reading some of the articles and some of the things that are being put out there in, you know, February. I, I read, you know, the New York Times. There was articles here and there. We actually played in New York. We played NYU, I think, around mid-February. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, was it part of our, dis- you know, regular discussion? No. And I think even that first week, um, the first week of the tournament. Now, certainly what caught our attention is what Hopkins uh, and, and some of the other places that were playing in empty gyms. I know there was a couple of those. Yeah. We were going to, you know, Lincoln, Nebraska, uh, at Nebraska Wesleyan. There was no... Um, at that time, no, you know, we didn't have any, um, you know, meetings or anything about what we should do. It was, it was not even really part of our true consciousness. Obviously, the next week that changed. But, uh, yeah. you know, looking back, we were thankful. We had, a, obviously, a great weekend. And, um, and to think how quickly things changed or, you, you know, from that weekend, from that Saturday night after we got done playing to what happened the next week, it was you know, we, we covered a lot of distance there in a short time. And it's kind of a week no one will ever forget because I remember I, I got back home. I went to New Orleans that the weekend before for a wedding. I'm back in New York on Monday. It's like, okay, well, maybe for Wesley we were on spring break. All right, we'll have a one-week extra of break, and then we'll be back on campus. And then by Tuesday or Wednesday, especially Wednesday, Rudy Gobert tests positive for the coronavirus. Tom Hanks tests positive. Then it was like within 24 hours, kind of the whole world was shut down. Just kind of as that week progressed, what was the conversations about the coronavirus within the WashU uh, athletic department, your team, and just when did you guys find out, unfortunately, that uh, the NSA tournament had been canceled? So things were yeah moving quickly that week. Um, I believe it was that Monday or maybe it was Tuesday. Early in the week, um, our university you know, made the call that students were not going to come back after spring break. Okay. Uh, that was our spring break, spring break week. Mm-hmm. So, you know, something we talked about with our team at that time, we were still, you know, hopeful, you know, on that Monday that we're going to be able to somehow get through this tournament. And, and, but we also recognize that whenever, if we're, if we lose, you know, everyone's going home. Mm-hmm. And so sort of the, the, the rallying cry was, well, you know, don't lose. Let's stay. We want to stay. To, don't <laughs> lose. We want to stay together as long as we can. And, and again, you know, we we had a great group. Just 
incredible group of guys. We were having so much fun, um, you know, and we're like, let's just, you know, you want to, you want to get to the next day. Like, can we just get yeah. to the next day? And, uh, you know, getting on the, so we left, you know, Thursday morning, go to Chicago. We're practicing, um, you know, mid afternoon. And, you know, I think when we got on, that was the day after, you know, uh, Gobert, you know, you, we all saw what was coming. Right. And, yeah. and, you know, like maybe we could get this game in on Friday night. It, things were progressing pretty quickly. Conference tournaments canceling. Um, and I remember thinking it, you know, it was about a four hour bus ride. And like, I, I just want to get to practice. I just want to get a practice. Just can we, can we not have it end before we get to practice? And um, so we get to the hotel, we do a, a quick, you know, we do our, our typical, our day before film session. I got to say everyone, including myself, we're very distracted. I mean, again, this yeah. is when things were really moving quickly, you know, at 12, one, I think our practice was maybe, you know, two or two thirty, And I was just kind of praying, like, can we just, can we just get our practice in? Yeah. And, uh, just, I want to be, you know, with these guys on the court one, not, not to, you know, just, just to be on the court. Like, let's just get to the wood one more time. Mm-hmm. And we got to do that. We, 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 we got there. Now we didn't get the full 90 minutes. I think we were about 50 minutes in and I could see the, the NCA site rep, um, kind of pacing and walking around. He was on yeah. his phone and, and we get into a really competitive drill. I kind of lost track of him, but I saw one of my seniors on the baseline. He wasn't in the drill and I saw this really bad expression and, and I'll never forget it. He just, Matt Nestor, you're just a warrior. And I just saw this look and, I just knew, you know, and, and I think he had made eye contact with the site rep. The site rep was making the gesture like, you know, it's over. But I think he didn't want to stop me because I was, I was, I was really lathered up during this drill, getting mm-hmm. after our guys pretty good. And you know, he he let us at least complete the drill, right. <laughs> complete the segment. And then uh, he just walked in and said, "Hey, hey Pat, I you know regret to let you know." And that's the that you know we weren't the only team there was several teams that were you know in route to practice had just yep. finished practice probably or like our case in the middle of practice um and i had five seniors and, and i i have i hadn't had a day at wash U or a practice without those five guys and um to see kind of how it ended right there it was it was emotional and it was awesome at the same time and and it was you know we just kind of froze everyone just kind of uh you know, it took a minute to kind of collect himself. And then we just met at half court and, and hugged and, uh, just, we just said how much we loved each other. And, and, uh, you know what we ended up doing? We, we, I have some guys from Chicago who were not going to come back to campus. Mm-hmm. We went and had a, a, a really, a great team dinner on NCA's dime. Thank you. NCA. <laughs> um, kind of had our, our last supper. And, and again, I think so much it's the experience. Like yeah. I, you know, we would have loved to have a chance to compete and see if we could have progressed on. But man, we we shared a really powerful, uh, well, few hours there together that all that none of us will ever forget. For sure. So I have a few more questions before we get to the fun ones. Obviously, you are a Midwest guy, true and true. You're coaching at a school in the Midwest, but now with the UAA, you're playing against teams from the Southeast, the Northeast, all around the country. Has your perception of other regions of basketball, of East Coast basketball, of Southern basketball, of just Midwest basketball in general, kind of how, how has that changed? And just, you know, if you want to share just what your perceptions of the other regions are since your time at Wash U. 
it's been really, like I mentioned earlier, great professionally to be exposed to, again, uh, competition in, in other parts of the country. I had had, you know, dabbled, or, you know, you might be in a holiday tournament in Vegas and there's a, a random team there from Pennsylvania or, but, but, uh, uh, to really get a greater sense. And, and certainly because, you know, we have teams in the UA in those regions certainly pay much more close attention now mm-hmm. to some of those teams follow. We recruit against yeah. those, you know, and, um, so it's opened up, uh, great respect for i just think division three basketball continues to get nothing but better 100%. more competitive um whatever the bottom of division three continues to move up um i think that the gap between whatever the so-called top and bottom that continues to compress more and more on a yearly basis um and let's face it there's just more you know there's more talented high school basketball players looking for paces to play. Certainly yep. we're looking for those high academic fits. Um, and, but to, to your question, to your point, uh, it, yes, I, my respect has nothing but grown. It is really more just for, you know, uh, my exposure to it and, and, you know, maybe being a little bit naive, being a Midwestern mm-hmm. guy and competing in the Midwest, thinking the Midwest is the end all be all, um, man, there's great basketball being played all over the country. 100%. And as you mentioned, you're recruiting, not only against the other schools in Missouri, the other schools in the Midwest, but now you're really recruiting at a, on a, almost a, a national level given Wash U is, is just a nationally renowned university. When you go out to a AU tournament, a camp, you watch a high school game, what are the things that a coach really looks for? Because obviously if a guy has, scores 50 points, you're going to be really intrigued by it, but just what are some of the other things that you watch during a game when you're evaluating a player uh, who you're interested in recruiting, and just how did that change this summer when there was no or very limited AAU events? Well, you, you struck a chord because I think, you know, many of us and most of us coaches, you know, we've been evaluating off of nothing but film or, or uh, baller TV or <laughs> web streams. And, and you, let's face it, it's the best we have and we'll take mm-hmm. it. But boy, there's, there's nothing like being, you know, in person and being able to, um, you know, see the, the level of competition. I, I love to just, I love looking at body language, uh, guys who really are, are communicative, um, you know, how they interact with their teammates. I mentioned earlier, just the, the piece of the, the character piece. I do think that's very revealing. And uh, I feel like I study, you know, on these le- these web streams, I'm, if, a, if, a, if a young man I'm looking at is subbed out of the game, like I'm trying to straight over and like watch, like what's he doing on the bench? Because mm-hmm. normally... I am watching those types of things. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, you can always, the size, athleticism, you know, that, that, that's easy. You know, that doesn't take any evaluation skills to see mm-hmm. that. I do think it's some of those softer skills and some of those characteristics uh, that, that really reveal um, what guys, I, I love, and I'll be, I love competitive guys that, that just are, that are passionate about it. Um, and that they're tough, competitive, and they're passionate um, and if they can play a little bit, then uh, and at Washu we got to be, you know, they got to have the grades. Yeah. Then, uh, then they're then 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 I'm going to be really intrigued by them. So, coach, my last question before we get to the fun ones, and I really appreciate all the time. You've mentioned Division Three basketball has gotten a lot better over the years, but people love talking about how just the game of basketball is way different than 
it was in the 80s or 90s, just like people love saying, oh, it was tougher then, the kids were tougher. But, you know, fundamentally, kids now are different than what they were in 1990 or 2000 or even 2010. Have you had to adjust the way that you've coached as the kids who you are coaching have also changed? Yeah, I think um, in this this year, this uh, you know, during kind of the early quarantine, um, you know, and I've heard some of the coaches on your podcast talk about like we've had this unique opportunity to really hit that pause button and to you know do a lot more maybe self evaluation. We've been stuck at home, um, you know. There's a, there's a ton of sh- more sharing going on in our profession, mm-hmm. uh, exposure to different approaches. Um, you know, I think certainly I'm amazed. I'm amazed at the continue um, how much more athletic, physically developed, much better shooting, um, you know, that we're seeing year after year. Um, it's really quite amazing. You know, I, I think of that, the, the team I played on, the teams that like, you know, we had two guys that could dunk, you know, <laughs> I, I think, you know, you, you watch a division, you just pick a division three team and watch them warm and, and they have two guys, you know, they might have one or two guys that can't dunk, Yeah, you know, and it's like, so just the, how the athleticism and the advancement that alone, um, is pretty, has been pretty striking. I think, you know, that's the beautiful thing about our game, right? There's, 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 um, there's constantly, you know, you think that there's only so many things you can do with five guys. Right. But mm-hmm. it, it's interesting. The influence of, of European basketball kind of in this, you know, it's kind of come back. We kind of taught them the, the game, and now they added their own flourishes, and now it's coming back and really impacting, you know, the American game a little bit. There's like a feedback sure. loop going on there. Um, that said, Dave, I think some of the things that have always been true um, remain true, and that is, you know, teams that are, are committed, connected, uh, together, um, you know, and, and, and unselfish um, you know, stand the best chance. And I think that's been true about our game that goes back, you know, the beginning of the game. So while well, some, some things continue to evolve and I think the talent level really has continued to grow. Um, you know, I think there's some of those foundational pieces that still remain pretty constant. For sure. So coach, appreciate the time. We got the, my five rapid fire questions for you to attend the podcast. Awesome. Number one, your favorite drill. Favorite drill? Um, I'm going to have to go with our, our our kill drill, which is a three consecutive stops. We call it, you know, we track a lot of coaches track the stat mm-hmm. three stops in a row. We call it a kill, and so we'll do uh, a segment in practice where uh, every team's got to get three stops in a row, and and uh, if they give up an offensive rebound or they foul or they or they get scored on, it goes back to zero, and they're stuck mm-hmm. in there until they get three stops and. That could take them three minutes. It could take them 30 minutes. I've had teams <laughs> stuck in there for 30 minutes or more. They never forget that drill. So yeah. just a good, just a good toughener drill. Create a little adversity. Pre-game superstitions. Oh God, I have a lot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I, I have, I'm, I'm a, I, I, a spark drinker. Uh, mm. I have a care, like an energy drink. I've got to have my pre-game spark. Okay. Okay. Pet peeve as a coach. Uh, just low energy and quiet, that quiet gym. Okay. We need a loud gym and we need high energy guys. So we've talked about this. The UAA is nicknamed the airplane league. You guys fly around to all these cities. Do you have any, do you have a, 
one of those horror travel stories that that you could share? Sure. My first year. Um, now, depending on who you talk to, some guys would call it quite the opposite. But we get <laughs> we we played uh, we were playing we played Brandeis uh, on a Sunday. Our flight got canceled. This was the uh, uh, the polar vortex from yep. 2019, and uh, our flight got canceled out of Logan. Uh, we're supposed to fly out probably at five o'clock Sunday night. We did not fly out until late Tuesday, and we had to we had to bus back to uh, LaGuardia. Oh my so god! So we get we had two extra days. <laughs> two extra days again. If you talk to our players, yeah. I don't think they minded it a whole lot unless they had a test. <laughs> um, it was also it was. Uh, Chiefs, it was the uh, Patriots Chiefs uh, yep. AFC title. Um, and so I was in a restaurant in, in Boston with, with Patriots fans, which was awesome. <laughs> um, so that was a positive. So, you know, it was uh, it was challenging. We were thinking about having to bus back, um, but uh, definitely a unique experience. Yeah, as someone who went to college with Patriots fans for four years, and as a non-Patriot fan talking, it was not awesome. Uh, those, <laughs> thank you. But so my last question here, Coach. If you could change one rule about college basketball, what would you change? I would give us the I would go with the NBA advance last minute of the game. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, the women's game has that. It's made a huge difference. It just makes it so much more fun at the end of the game. I totally agree with you. You know, then we can start paying attention to all these great side out of bounds plays that yeah. uh, that Brad Stevens runs in the game. So one hundred percent. That'd be awesome. Anything to see more passes from the sideline looped all the way to the other corner for three pointers is just those plays are incredible. <laughs> exactly. So, Coach, I really appreciate uh, all the time here today. As usual, on the double double, we give the last word to the coach. Is anything we want to shout out or say to the great people of the WashU community in St. Louis, uh, Missouri? Well, excited to get uh, our our students, um, our, our certainly our, our players, our athletes, our faculty staff back on campus. Like I mentioned, uh, I've been on campus really only once or twice since mid March. We've got a beautiful campus and a, and a, and a really um, passionate community and just long to be back there and, and uh, kind of uh, hopefully have a uh, – we'll see kind of where 2020 into 2021 goes, but looking forward to be back on campus. Well, Coach, I really appreciate it. Looking forward to – hopefully there will be a season this year, and, and if there is, we know WashU will be – the Bears will be a force to be reckoned with. So really looking forward to it, Coach. Really appreciate all the time. Hey, Dave, thanks so much, and uh, just love your pod. Keep up the great work. Thank you. That'll do it for this episode of The Double Double. If you like this podcast, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. And you can subscribe, rate, and review. Five stars would be much, much appreciated. You can also follow us on Twitter at DBL underscore DBL podcast. We'll be back later this week. Until then, take care, and make it a great day.